Welcome to Retina in Focus, a VRC podcast. Stay ahead of your eye health with insights from the nation's leading doctors in retina and macula care. For more information, visit vrcny.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Welcome to the fourth episode of Retina in Focus, a VRC podcast. I'm Dr. Vincent Duramo, one of the doctors at Vitura Retinal Consultants of New York, and this is my associate, Dr. David Ree. And today we're going to be discussing retinal tears and retinal detachment. Dave, maybe you could start just telling the audience about the retina and jump. Yeah, so the retina is the membranous organ in the back of the eye that senses light, converts it into electrical signal, and sends it to your brain. So it's, without that, we really can't see anything. So you might call it the film in the camera? Exactly. That's a nice analogy to use and very common that we use at retina. So the retina fills the entire back portion of the eye, and the inside of the eye is actually filled with a gel, which we need for fetal development, but after birth, it does nothing but cause problems in the eye. Do you want to speak a little bit of how they can cause issues with the retina? Sure. So we're all born with this gel material filling the inside called the vitreous. And as we age, the gel is going to get thinner. And at some point in life, it's going to move around. And when that happens, it's very common to get these symptoms that we call floaters. Or if it happens quickly, you may get these flashes of light. So to a retina doctor, flashes and floaters are symptoms that sort of start out of the blue. You're not really doing anything to cause them. But what they mean is this vitreous gel is shifting around your eye pretty quickly. And the concern is that gel can actually pull on the retina that Dave was talking about and actually cause a rip or a tear called a retinal tear. And if water goes through that tear, it actually can lift up the retina and that's called a retinal detachment. And we see a lot of patients that have new floaters and flashes in the eye. And our job is to make sure that the retina is not torn and there is no retinal detachment. Yeah. A lot of patients ask us what caused this to happen and why this happened. And the main reason is really birthdays and bad luck. After a certain age, the jelly, which was nice and firm when we're bored and starts to break down. It's kind of like if you let a jello out too long, the protein in that jello would start to break down and the entire thing would collapse. And you can imagine if this room was the inside of your eye, the wallpaper in this room would be the retina inside that room. And as the jelly starts to collapse, it kind of tugs on it. And if it pulls a little too hard, it can cause a tear. So Dave, when you see a new patient that has new floaters and maybe some flashes in the eye for the last few days, what do you start to do on the exam and what are you concerned about? So yeah, if you see new flashing lights, new floaters, or any change in your vision that is sudden, we recommend that you find an eye specialist as soon as possible. In general, most of the time when there are new flashing lights and floaters, you will not have a terror detachment. But if you miss the symptoms and you don't get it treated in time, you can have a significantly bigger problem that you have to deal with. Sure. So you're saying within a day or two, um, you're going to want to have your eye dilated if you have new symptoms and have a careful examination of the retina to be sure that nothing is ripped or torn. Exactly. Great. No, I would agree with that. I do the same thing myself. So what happens if you take a look and luckily... There is no problem there, and there is no rip or tear in the retina. What might you tell that patient? So generally, I'd like to have a follow-up about six to eight weeks after, just to make sure they don't develop a tear in the interim. And I always tell them that it's likely that the floaters and flashing lights will persist, although they do tend to get better. 
Although I'm pretty careful about not promising that they're going to go away completely because I only end up with disappointed patients there. But even if you have a super annoying floater, they do tend to get better with time. We often have patients who always say they still see their floaters months to years out or see an occasional flash of light and it's dark out. I don't know if you have the same experience. No, I think that's true. I mean, some patients, depending on this vitreous gel movement, can actually have hemorrhage in the eye and some other concerning features, and that causes even more floaters. And that's a little bit different. I'll usually have those patients come back sooner, maybe a week or two or three later, depending on the findings, if, um, if there's not a tear on the first examination. So I think uh, we pretty much treat patients the same way. So let's say it's a little different. They came in and you did find a tear in the retina. What, how might you approach that or what might you tell them? If there's a new tear that we see on examination, generally we need to treat that immediately. And we usually do that in the office as a in-office procedure and that takes about five minutes or so. Do you ever delay treatment for these tears? No, I do the same thing. If you have a new tear and the patient has symptoms that we just talked about with floaters or flashing lights, uh, hopefully treat that patient the same day in the office, either with laser or with a freezing treatment called cryotherapy. And uh, yeah, it usually takes somewhere between five and 10 minutes and you can get good treatment there. And what we're basically doing, or I tell people, is that we're tacking down the retina or welding it if you speak, but basically trying to prevent it from separating or detaching. And why would you pick laser versus freezing? I tend to use laser the majority of cases. It's a little bit quicker to heal from and a little easier to deliver, especially if the tear is a little further back in the eye. The time where I usually find that you can't laser is if there's hemorrhage in the eye from the tear. Sometimes the retina can bleed when it's torn because it's the same you know, living tissue. It's, it's a layer of brain tissue, really. And if there's hemorrhage there, it, the view can be very hazy for both the patient and for the doctor. So it can be tricky to use laser light to seal off the retina. So in those cases, we apply a freezing treatment that can get right through the kind of haziness of the blood. And in both cases, the laser and the freezing treatment are trying to do the same thing, right? Exactly. They're both going to seal down the retina to prevent retinal detachment. Okay. Let's say we don't get to the patient in time. They've had a tear for a while and that tear has started to lift up and cause a retinal detachment. What changes in what you say to the patients? So I think that's a big difference. And sometimes, to be honest, it's not really a delay. Some retinas that just based on the force of the tearing can detach very quickly. And sometimes tears can you know, linger and not detach for a week or so. So you never know. But when there is a significant amount of what we call traction or pulling, water or the liquid inside the eye can go under the retina and lift it up. And the retinal attachment patients typically can sense that something's going on because their vision is not the same. So if they start to lose peripheral vision, that's very suggestive of retinal attachment. And if the detachment's large enough, it can even take away the central vision. So what kind of symptoms would the patient notice? A lot of it is the same. So new onset of these floaters, some flashing lights, especially in the dark, haziness or smokiness to the vision, and then more concerning for retinal detachment would be the loss of your peripheral vision. So I explain commonly to patients that they may see normally on this side of their vision in one of their eyes, but on the other side, it may be very dark, sort of like a heavy curtain is being drawn. So 
Dave, I think you sort of mentioned it before. So how would that change your discussion? Is that something that you can laser in the office and treat the tear, or does that need something more sensitive? So it can vary. The configuration of these retinal detachments can really dictate what kind of procedures will work to fix them. If it's a very small, limited detachment with small tear around it, you might be able to get a little bit of laser around it and seal it off. If it's bigger, but in a good place, and that your doctor or surgeon would be the one to determine that, you might be able to get away with an in-office procedure where you freeze the tear, add a little gas bubble, and position your head in a certain way to get it done. That procedure may not work quite as well as a surgery, but if you get away with it and it works, you can avoid a bigger surgery in the hospital. And finally, if you have a typical retinal detachment, you're probably going to need a surgical intervention in the hospital or surgery center. And there are a couple procedures for doing that. One is a vitrectomy, and one is a sclerobuckle, and the third is actually a combination of the two procedures. Do you want to explain some of those procedures? Sure. And, and I would agree with you. I think although we have some techniques in the office to fix retinal detachment, I think the average retinal detachment is best treated in the operating room with surgery, although it's almost always an outpatient procedure. You go in to the facility and then you're leaving the same day. But I agree. I do the same three procedures that you're talking about. A vitrectomy is a surgery where we actually go into the eye and remove that vitreous gel that is pulling on the retina, causing the detachment. And once you do that, you're able to remove the fluid from under the retina, and then you can actually deliver laser to seal off the tear. And I think that's important because you can only deliver laser to seal the tear if the retina is attached. And by that, we mean that it's actually touching the back of the eye. I tell patients all the time that you can't glue two things together that aren't touching. So in a detachment, there's actually space in between the back of the eye and the retina, and if there's no detachment, they're together. So in surgery, we actually flatten the detachment, and then we can treat with laser. And then typically, as you said before, we'll put an air bubble in the eye, and that bubble will act as the clamp and hold the retina place. So people who hear about an air bubble or look online about retinal detachment surgery always ask the same question, am I going to need to be phased out? So what do you say these, to these patients? So I think that's a great question. Positioning your head with an air bubble in the eye is a really helpful technique in the field of retina to fix a number of retina problems, most commonly retinal detachment. But it really depends on where the tear and the detachment is. So if, unfortunately, the detachment is larger and is involving most of the retina, I think the safest thing for the patient is for them to keep their head down for at least a few days, sometimes longer. And what that bubble does is push the retina back in place and help with the healing. There are some unusual circumstances where the detachment is at the bottom of the eye. It's really a gravity type thing. If the tear is towards the top portion of the eye, you may not need to be face down at all. If the tear is at the bottom of the eye, you may need to be face down for up to a week to keep tension on the tear. The other thing is that patients should be aware that most retinal detachment repair requires a gas bubble. So with the gas bubble in the eye, most patients cannot fly or travel to areas with high altitude, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a really important tip that if you do have a gas bubble to fix an attachment, you really can't fly till the bubble goes away. It's very dangerous because what happens at altitude is your bubble will expand and dramatically increase the pressure, potentially causing some harm. Yeah. So unfortunately, retinal detachment surgery can cancel a lot of pre-made plans and vacations, but your doctor should be able to get you 
some money back from your trip if that happens. Yeah, typically, hopefully you may have some trip insurance, but I think the important point here is that these are typically fixable. Although they're serious and co are causing vision loss, and it can be very disturbing, of course, when you suddenly lose vision, these are typically very successful surgeries and very helpful in recovering most of the vision, if not almost all of the vision. Although, again, it depends on the severity of the detachment. That's true. The other thing that might be nice to warn patients who are about to have retinal detachment surgery is that sometimes you have a retinal detachment with peripheral vision loss, but your central vision is pretty good. But to fix that, we have to put a gas bubble. And so those patients actually come out of the surgery with much worse vision than they went in with. They could be 20-20 prior to the surgery, but due to the gas bubble, which changes the optics of the eye, you could come out with not being able to see much at all. But I think you're referring to a temporary condition. Yes, temporary. Yeah, so absolutely it's not harming the eye. In fact, it's actually necessary. But temporarily for the first week or two, the vision may actually get cloudier during that time because the bubble is hard to look through. But it's actually essential to prevent further vision loss. We didn't mention that the gas bubble typically lasts one to two months after surgery, but slowly gets smaller as time goes on. Yeah, so you don't need another procedure. The gas bubble will absorb on its own, which is really the best part of using it to fix detachments. And in my experience, sometimes you can get away with a smaller bubble in certain cases of smaller detachment. So again, I think I would agree with you that it really varies and depends on the size of the detachment, but that can all be uh, determined at the time of the examination. So you mentioned another way, Dave, I think that I would agree with fixing detachments, adding something called a scleral buckle. Mm -hmm. Could you tell us a little more about that? Yes. So there are some patients whose detachments may be more appropriately fixed with what we call a scleral buckle. A scleral buckle is a typically silicone band that goes around the eye, and we basically cinch that around the eye under all the four muscles that move the eye around to support the retina 360. So a common question is, am I going to see that buckle after the surgery? Definitely not going to see the buckle. You won't even notice that it's there. And we typically leave it in for a lifetime unless it causes some issues, which is very unlikely, but could happen. The buckle does cause a little bit more possible side effects. It can make you a little bit more nearsighted. Because you imagine if we put a belt around a basketball and we tightened it, it would turn it more into a football shape. So it can elongate your eye a little bit and cause a little bit of nearsightedness, although generally not a significant amount. And because it is a little bit more surgery, there are other problems that can occur. But the reason we use the buckle is that it supports the retina 360. And if you have a retina that wants to tear more than in just one place, it may be better for you to get that buckle long term. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, scleral buckling has been around since probably the 1940s or 50s and has been a very, very successful way to reattach the retina for many decades. I think it's not as commonly used as it was 20, 30 years ago, but it has a definite place in a number of complicated attachments, larger detachments, or if a patient has many tears in the eye. So basically, from a retinal surgeon's point of view, the best procedure is the one that, that fixes the problem and the retina can be attached. Does one surgery always fix an attachment, Dave? Unfortunately, no. Even though we have really good success rates, in the literature it's reported to be about 1 in 10 to 1 in 20 retinal detachment surgeries that fail and redetach, usually within the first 1 to 2 months or so. In our practice, I think it's much lower than that. It's probably around the order of 3% on average. 
But unfortunately, we cannot fix every detachment. The first time around, correct. It's generally, we're able to get it flat, but there is a, a nasty condition called proliferative vitreoretinopathy retinopathy where you get the development of scar tissue, and that scar tissue likes to yank the retina right off the wall of the eye again. So far, we have not figured out a way to completely prevent that from happening, but it doesn't happen that often. Well, I would agree. And if a patient were to develop some scar tissue or it was a more complicated attachment, does that mean they can't have another surgery? No, absolutely. You can go back in and reattach the retina. It does become successively harder to fix it than would be the more the scar tissue tends to groom back. But in general, we're able to obtain success. Yeah, I would agree. I think the vast majority of retinal attachments can be fixed in a fairly straightforward way. Most of the time, in my experience with one surgery, and occasionally it does require an additional surgery. And then as Dave said, I think much more rarely, you may need even a third or additional procedure, but those are very uncommon and typically uh, much more complicated situations. I think what I try to tell people is, you know, as you said, 90 plus percent of the time with one surgery and you can reattach the retina and get the vision much better than it was in the beginning. So I think it's a very successful surgery. And then we mentioned before, you might also have a combination of the bulkman and the vitrectomy surgery. Would you say that you perform that pretty regularly? I think that the combination is performed maybe a third of the time in my hands, uh, vitrectomy maybe a little more, maybe half of the time, and then a sclerobuckle only is a little less common in my experience and typically a little better procedure for younger patients. Even though retinal attachment is a disease typically seen as we all get older, it does occasionally occur in young, even teenagers or young patients in their 20s and 30s, even though it's not common, it does occur. And I think the square buckle is usually a better way to go in the younger patient, but that's again, not always the case. I agree completely. The other thing we have to mention is generally for vitrectomy, one of the side effects of this is pretty common and happens very quickly is a cataract. About 70 to 90 percent of people after vitrectomy surgery will develop a cataract within a year or so. So obviously a lot of patients ask, if I've had a cataract surgery, am I going to get another cataract? And the answer is no, it would not. But if you have not had cataract surgery and then develop a retinal detachment and need vitrectomy for repair, Generally, you will need a cataract surgery within a year or so. Yeah, and I tell patients that too. But I think um, if you're saying the same thing that I am, although there's a few occasional bumps in the road with fixing attachments, like cataract may get a little worse or your prescription may change a little bit, the most important thing to realize is that fixing a retinal detachment is absolutely vision-saving. And the most important thing that we can do as retina specialists for patients with these challenging conditions. Correct. Yeah. Retinal detachment without repair is a blinding problem, but we have good methods for saving your sight, and that's all we do. We do this every day. Because, I mean, the reality is, is that actually it's a very successful surgery. Yeah. Most patients will not go blind if caught in time from a retinal detachment. Yeah. I tell patients the same thing. I mean, even though it's a complicated eye condition, and does often require a detailed procedure or surgery in the operating room, uh, the success rate in both fixing the retinal attachment and improving and restoring the patient's vision are extremely high and definitely is the right way to go. So getting in, getting an examination properly, getting treatment properly if that's what's needed, it can really make a huge difference in saving your sight 
and restore and vision that may be lost in these tricky conditions. I think that's a good point that time is kind of of the essence. You have a little bit of time, but the sooner we catch things, generally the easier it is to fix. If you sit on something for a long time, not realizing that you've lost vision in the eye, the prognosis is not as good and some the, sometimes the outcomes are not as good either. Oh, I would agree. And I think if you tell the same thing to patients that I do, we're not talking about hours to a day, but days to weeks is definitely a delay you, you would not want to do. But typically by the time you get things set up in the operating room, it may take you a day, maybe even two days. And, and that's usually typically okay. So Dave, if, just to sort of summarize, if patients have new symptoms or they see new floaters or some change in vision, I think you had recommended before that they you know, definitely see an eye professional, get an examination that includes dilating the pupil. Sometimes that can be done with photography, I believe, in many offices now. And if they do have a problem to you know, see a retina specialist fairly quickly to get appropriate treatment. Well, a practice like ours that is retina-focused is always going to have coverage for any sort of new symptoms, flashing lights, floaters, or any change in vision 24 hours a day. And the grassing fort part. Yeah, like just talk into your doctor and be seen. You never want to try to diagnose the problem yourself. If you're having new symptoms, give a specialist a call and we can determine where you need to go from there. Yeah, I think that's great advice. So hopefully this was helpful if you're watching to explain how retinal problems can occur with retinal tear and attachment and the best way to treat them. I think the important part is to recognize these usually disconcerting symptoms of new floaters or a change in vision and be sure to promptly speak to and be examined by your eye specialist. And if needed, see a retina specialist to treat any sort of retinal problems like retinal tear and attachment in a prompt way. Well, thanks so much uh, for watching and uh, hope that you can tune in for our next podcast. <laughs>